some people, live day in and day out, caring for family members who have really severe issues in living. If you're one of those people, you know what I'm talking about. But most of us don't know, and therefore we probably don't do the best job of thinking about how to help the families of those who struggle. So please, join me and David Pallison as we talk about how can you help the families of those who struggle with severe issues in living. You're listening to CCEF On The Go, a podcast of the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. Here at CCEF, we are committed to restoring Christ to counseling and counseling to the church. You can find our podcasts, books, articles, videos, and more resources for Christ-centered pastoral care at our website, ccef.org. Welcome to CCEF On The Go. I'm Alastair Groves, a faculty member here at CCEF. Today I'm speaking with David Pallison, our executive director and faculty member here as well. David, how are you? I am doing well. Doing better talking to you, Alistair. It's always a pleasure. Uh, you're too kind. You're too kind. Um, uh, I wanted to um, get some thoughts from you on uh, one of those challenging issues that could be a 12-hour class rather than a 20-minute podcast. Yeah. But um, psychiatric disorders and the church... And particularly the focus, actually, that I want to go with is not what are psychiatric disorders so much as how can the church help? What, what's, our, what's our focus as a church? How can we be um, moving toward those with, with psychiatric disorders and wisdom and love? Uh, you've been thinking about this a lot longer than I have. Um, what's, what's your take? Yeah, yeah, great question. Uh, maybe I'll t- say a bit of personal history. I Part of why I've been thinking about it for a long time is I came to faith in the context of working in a psychiatric hospital, locked ward, uh, was in, worked in psychiatric hospitals for a total of four years, so knew, I, th- I would say over those years, probably between 1,000 and 1,500 people who had been institutionalized, whose lives had been disrupted enough that they were put behind a, a door with a lock. Uh, for their own protection or the protection of others. And one of the things that actually played a very significant role in my own conversion, and I count this one of these mercies of God that you're not even a Christian, you have no awareness of God, but he's running before to work in your life in such ways that you become, you start to see the points of contact with the gospel. I was spared I was spared by God's mercy putting psychiatric patients into this category that made an us and them that I am one of the well and they are the sick I have keys I get to go home they are they are somehow this other kind of human being but even in the most disturbed people I could see take this the right way but I could see myself I could see I find that easy to do with you as well, David. Yes, it's you know it's not far away, but and someone who was in extreme blinding panic, I could see that there were there were, in a sense normal anxieties and fears just running wild. And someone who is in the blackest pit of despair, I could see there's something in here that's an understandable human experience of hopelessness and. It's taken on a quality that is 
uh, or a quantity, maybe we should say, that's extreme, that's beyond normal. But I can understand something of the experience. And one of the things that was very uh, significant in working day in, day out with patients in the hospital is I don't think there was a single patient that I didn't connect with human to human at some point or other. And it didn't mean that there weren't times where the person was very weird or unresponsive or bizarre or hallucinating or, you know, the, their talk made no sense. But then you'd talk to somebody and you'd find out that they were very lonely, very immature, very depressed about how life went, very frustrated with themselves, angry at what people had done. Um, they were people, in other words. And I, I think that when, when uh, I'm glad the way you phrased the opening question, okay, let's, let's not try to figure it all out, because I think there are mysteries. There, there are things you can take a stab at or posit, but, but the fact that you're dealing with another human being means that there's a human point of contact. And that humanizing, and in a certain sense, not minimizing the oddity or distressingness or destructiveness of what's going on, but but at the same time saying, this is a person. And that means we can relate to each other. And that's just hugely significant. Because that starts to open all sorts of practical ways that you can debunk what's frightening or intimidating or weird. And you can start to pursue, okay, there's a person here. How do I, how do I connect? How do I care? Really basic things of human relationships. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I'm just actually processing this through my own life. I had a conversation with a pastor today about a situation he's involved in uh, where I've had the chance to be involved as well. And he was just sort of saying, hey, you know what? <laughs> what do you know? What do you think? And uh, it was a, just a helpful reminder that um, for most people around anything that, that's at all severe or, or anyone who's, who's quite troubled, um, in their experience of life and their mind and their, their emotions and their perceptions, whatever the case might be, you, um, you feel helpless and it feels utterly mysterious and you feel like you haven't got a clue how to, how to move towards someone. And, and a lot of that can be warranted in that there may be many options that aren't on the table. You know, it's, yeah. you have very little ability sometimes to affect someone's... Yeah, you may not be able to have some rich, meaningful, personal, heart-to-heart -heart conversation. Sure. And or their meds may not be doing much for them right now. Uh, and hopefully a different, you know, set of meds is going to possibly do something different in a week or a month or, you know, we'll see. And maybe a hospital stay can be kind of a reset or who knows. But um, but just just the, the experience, as I, I would assume for most pastors, for most people in the church is something like this. I just feel. I feel very unable to do much that feels meaningful. Yeah. And what you're saying is don't lose sight of there is a person and how, um, how powerful of a, an avenue of help it is simply to treat a person as a person and think of them as, okay, what is this person in need of? This person may be um, in very serious, uh, seriously disturbed and, and in serious trouble, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I still want to see them as a person, yeah, first and foremost. And let me, there's a lot of ways we could take it, but let me, let me focus on one. In every single you know, extreme disabling condition of life that gets a label of a psychiatric disorder, every single one is characterized by a profound aloneness. 
and loneliness. There's no love. There's these aren't ways to connect to people. These are disconnects. These are whether it's in in extreme darkness or weirdness or a high and a bizarreness, sure. delusion, or, or something more mild like a you know an eating disorder. These are these are not ways that people are connecting to other people. So there's a loneliness and an isolation, and so there are things that are very elemental human responses that that simply to welcome someone and to to know their name and to depending on the situation to give them a hug and a, a warm hello of some sort it it things that to include them in a in a dinner um, things that actually you might say operate on the assumption of shared humanness that what are the things we would do as someone who's lonely and isolated we seek to include them we seek to make them part of our lives and us part of them um, one of the most interesting sociological studies i read of psychiatric disorders was a comment on the way in which i think it was uh it might have been zimbabwe or some some sub-saharan african country where they have the same bizarre behaviors and such that we would have that people get you know put into psychiatric labels and, and institutions but there's certainly no resources there's no social resources or no hospitals or so they're in families and there's something about just being included in family life that actually makes it it modifies symptoms it having um, offering somebody an opportunity to be helpful you know dry the dishes uh, take a walk look at God's creation pray for them uh, the uh, express faith it uh, you it, it's in one sense it's an ex, it's an intensification of what's so in every kind of ministry and you actually don't know what's going to happen there's a there's something an adventure that there's something intriguing that we are particularly aware that we don't control it when you're with someone who's really struggling deeply. But the doing of normal things, you never know. And you can have that. You can have some enthusiastic adventure in in that. Like, let me wade in and see what happens. One of the things in the psychiatric hospital that played a role in my coming to faith was was pondering the single most effective staff member was a he was the only member of our staff who had not been to college he was not just doing mental health work like i was as a experienced stepping stone before going to grad school for a career this was his life working on this in the psych hospital he treated people like people he had this knack for he had a good sense of humor he he if somebody was, I mean, it was it's things that you might take you back at first, but if somebody was talking nonsense, word salad, dementing, he might say to them, you know, Stuart, what's really going on with you? Like what you're saying is making no sense. What's going on? Didn't always quote work. It's not a technique. It's not like applying a wrench to a to a, a carburetor, and you know. <laughs> But he, but it was what was so interesting in working side by side with this man for a number of years was when people were in trouble and wanted to talk, he was the one that they most often wanted to talk with. 
he just dealt straight with people. So he could, he could laugh with people, he would include people, he was very involved in activities on the floor, and he would be blunt with people, where bluntness was called for. And he wasn't a Christian, but he was someone who humanized the, the psychiatrists who tend to be viewed through a dehumanizing lens. And I would describe him as the single most effective staff member in a common grace way. And um, think how much more that we as Christians can not only do all the everyday practical caring, including things that common grace can do, but we can pray for people. We can talk to them about the living God who has free access into the heart and mind. He is not, God is not hindered by any kind of mental illness or disability. There may be a very limited degree to which someone's growth potential is, and that's by God's creation and providence. And But if faith, just as there's great isolation, there's also no faith in any of the psychiatric disorders, in the disorder part of that person's right, life. Right. So by definition, for someone to to grow in relationality and care and to be cared for and for someone to start to pray and to ask God for help and to believe, uh, those things by definition are the opposites of every single one of the psychiatric disorders. It <clears throat> strikes me, I think of one, uh, one friend of mine who um, has dealt with some fairly severe mental uh, sort of delusional issues and 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 typically in the delusions the 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 place where things go for her is something like um you are you're choosing hell you're choosing away from all things that are good and you're damning yourself and these are the thoughts in your mind exactly this is this is intrusive thought this is the the, right and so and and so it suddenly the the world around seems to be um everything is my enemy everything it must must be pushed away and 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 lead to some at times fairly fairly severe and problematic episodes for her as as her mind just the very perceptions coming in are yeah. um, every channel at, is being every right every channel is tapped hostile on. accusatory things exactly and for her probably one of the single most helpful uh, if you will tools <laughs> you know I want I want to speak carefully in that language but but one of the most helpful things she has been able to do in some of those situations is to say, no, Jesus loves me. Yeah. And that phrase, Jesus loves me, those three words have had enormous comfort. At times it has actually snapped her out of uh, psychotic episodes. Sure. At times um, the phrase itself is not magic and it doesn't snap her out, but but that has been what she clings to as she comes out of the episode. And it's just That's a lovely way to put it. About that. Yeah, because you're not describing some like magic spell that, or magic words, or a technique in the technical meaning of that, you know, something which has an automatic effect, but you're describing a life that is going through extreme confusion, pain, struggle, uh, delusion, falsehood, there's lies running rampant. And so again, uh, you know, just as love is the opposite of loneliness, and praying for help is the opposite of unbelief, Truth is the opposite of lies. And so we're actually describing these, these very basic elements of Christian faith applied in a way that's realistic, not magical, applied in a way that is um, living within God's world where people who have this depth of struggle are in God's world and then God can reach them. And no guarantees, no tricks, but 
we're dealing, we're, we're in each case talking about really normal things. Um, I, I know when I was in the psychiatric hospital, again, before being a Christian, one of the things that just a common grace was, it's what gets called reality testing. And someone is in delusions and to just calmly and persistently, creatively talk about what's true in the face of what's false. Well, boy, coming to faith, you don't abandon the truths that we would have reality tested. You just have a whole lot more and you're able to frame the common grace truths as well that about what life really is and, uh, and be able to have those candid conversations, caring, candid, constructive conversations, just like you would seek to have between you and me. You know, one of us is struggling with feeling anxious, or overwhelmed, or really depressed. You'd want a caring, candid, constructive conversation. You'd want to listen. There might be times where you want to kind of say, you know, I really want you to listen to me because you're not really taking this in. I think you need to take this in. There's, a t there's every modality of human interaction that is helpful is, is, in a sense, an outgrowth of some aspect of Christian faith. David, let me, let me wrap us up here. Um, here's my short, short summary of what I hear us saying. Number one, you treat people as people. And that's, that is profoundly uh, living out the Christian faith that says it doesn't matter how much the image of God in someone is currently under, under assault or injured or hurt or doesn't matter how many limbs they've lost or how many um, bizarre things they've said in the last 10 minutes, they're a person. And, you'll, and when you treat them that way, that's a powerful act of love and faith. Secondly, um, prayer is just this incredibly... Un unbelievably significant thing, significant to, do. thing yeah. to do with and for somebody. Thirdly, um, to speak things that are true. And I, I'm saying it that way rather than saying speak truth. Speak truth tends to have the sense of confront, and of course it can, And relative, but, but there's something even, I mean something broader than that. Speaking things that are true, bringing truth in contact with someone's life, truths in contact with someone's life is powerful. You know, let me, could I, could I take us a, a little bit different of angle? Of course. Another interesting thing about, the, about how the Bible looks at life is you could say, actually, normal people are described in the Bible as insane. They are under a strong delusion. So something like normal, everyday unbelief of your, you know, your sister-in-law that's just an everyday, you know, who could care about Jesus they are actually, that, she is actually deluded. Now she registers as normal on the DSM and she registers as normal. She's in highly social functional in she's this highly system. Functional, yeah. But she's crazy from the standpoint of we actually do live in God's world. We are dependent on him for life. We are sinners against him. And he has come in person to deal with our sins and to give us a new life and to walk with us. And she doesn't believe any of that. In other words, she's completely out of touch with reality. And, Which in and a sense, so am I when I sin as a Christian, because yeah. I am in touch with reality at the level of, I know who has made me and what I made for. And so therefore, when I act in a way that does not take that seriously or I'm te it's runs against that, it, it's, it is, insane. It is yeah. a, now again, I'm not trying to push that and just sure. say, thus there's nothing there. Sure in these just extremely debilitating, destructive things that wreck people's lives, that get the labels of psychiatric disorder. I, we're not minimizing that, but relativizing it by, in a sense, questioning our idea of, quote, normal, 
and that there's something insane about it. There's a difference between normal and insane. And yeah, and then elevating the people who are really troubled to never forget that they're people. Yeah. More like us than different in, a, in certain essential ways. So, so to finish the list, I, I'd say the, the one other thing I would, I would highlight is just a, a, you're almost always going to go right uh, doing this in ministries is thinking about the families of people. Um, just anything you can do on any of those three fronts, again, uh, but just how, how can you bring meals? How can you help? How can you have compassion for? How can you understand that to have a brother who is wrestling with some kind of psychiatric uh, disorder or severe problem of living, whatever the case might be, is is going to isolate the people around that person too. They're going to feel yeah. a, a resulting shame yeah, to move toward them. Yeah, your in some ways may be with a family member who it's incredibly discouraging. Right. It, Exhausting, when overwhelming. When you're working with someone who, who feels hopeless, it, it's catching. And family members, people who care, a spouse, parents, right. brother, sister, it a child with an adult with a parent who's who's you can feel you'll feel hopeless yourself and mm-hmm. so i mean there's a way where even as we're talking together alistair we're we're trying to cast a vision where we ourselves would go into these relationships with hope not hope that there is a magic answer or a quick fix but hope that that basic elements of faith and love and truth actually matter and i can persevere in them and to help the people who are maybe the more on-scene caretakers, to help them in the same way, to, to have a way to go forward without despair, anger, you know, fear, all the things that can grip us. And, and therefore, as churches, as local bodies of believers, we can have this, uh, we have really good reason to persevere. And that reason is not, if we persevere hard enough and long enough, this person's problems are all going to disappear. That, that reason is... Or the coming to Jesus is like an instant presto. Right. Like, right. everything's fine. Right. Or if they've been Christian for decades, that somehow they, if they had a little more faith, it would just, you know, but, but there's something to us then of just being able to say, yeah, we can continue to move toward people. And there's this, this patience and, and I think, um, a, a high view of the very, very normal, mundane forms of ministry uh, realizing just how much it does mean to hang in there with somebody, move towards somebody, love somebody, pray with somebody. Um, that is, is an incredibly rich form of ministry that often feels uh, very little and paltry because the the problem seems, you know, it, it takes all the air in the room, sucks all the oxygen out of the room. Well, David, thank you so much. Appreciate, uh, very welcome, appreciate the time of the conversation. Obviously, there's a lot more we could say about the issues of psychiatric disorders and churches and how to help. One article you might find uh, interesting is an article we've linked to, as always, on our webpage, which is ccef.org podcast. It's an article by Ed Welch about 10 ways that uh, you can help families of people with psychiatric disorders. It will be uh, free on our website until the next episode goes up. And of course, if you have any questions or thoughts or comments for us, don't hesitate to shoot me an email at podcast at ccef.org. Till next time, blessings.